what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. U.S. health advisors want you to know your health coverage does not have to be complicated. If you aren't happy with your insurance plan, there are unlimited and comprehensive medical plan options available to you right now. U.S. health advisors offer solutions which can't be found anywhere else. They can even offer you the ability to purchase more coverage if and when you need it. U.S. Health Advisors offers fair rates and no surprises. Sounds nice, doesn't it? If you'd like to know more, contact U.S. Health Advisors at 828-554-3032 or by email at daniel.bryant at ushadvisors.com. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, we'll start with a quick article. It's good to prepare, and if that economic cycle slips, what steps should you be taking? We'll share some thoughts on how you should be preparing for that dreaded R word, and I'm talking about the recession. Thank you. Our main topic today, so you think you want to start a food business, we'll be talking with Eric Hallman and Sue Ellsworth with the Piedmont Food Processing Center in Hillsboro, North Carolina, about the food, the, it's a food incubator, what they're doing there, and the trials and tribulations of starting and growing a food business. And once we get you hungry, we'll wind up with some small business of the month that we will be highlighting that are interesting and you should be checking out. I'm Jeff Newville. I'm director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the dean of all things business, arts, and of importance at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory. Gary, how are you doing? Jeff, I'm doing great. And thanks for the great introduction to our school that is all about business and the arts. We cover about everything that anybody would want to know when they're listening to one of our podcasts. And and so, so much more, but you're you're doing good works uh, throughout the year. Well, and I appreciate that. And before we go on uh, any further, I need to talk about football, because it may be the last time this season I will talk about football. As a Wake Forest alum, uh, you you must be very proud of your Wake Forest football team, who I think are five and one, six and one. Six and one. Six and one, bowl eligible, which is what we always, that's our first goal. Actually, our first goal is to win a game, but uh, we're bowl eligible and we're very excited. Well, con- congratulations to the Wake Forest team and Deacons, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you. And the Panthers, four in a row. Four in a row, and, and uh, we're, we're, we're hopeful about the Panthers as well, so that's, it, it's all good. Excellent. And we're, and we're here in late October. Yes. It, Halloween is coming up. Yes, it's, it is. It's a, it's a little bit scary out there. It is a little scary, but it, and it's turning a little bit cool, so it, it feels like fall now. Are you, uh, are you dressing up as anything this year? I'm going to dress up as an accountant. Well, I, so that way I don't, can wear the same thing, right? Well, you can pull that <laughs> off. You can pull it off. Yeah, something that uh, be, before we get going too far, I do want to mention that uh, the Mesh Podcast Network, which uh, is hosts us and we're very proud to be a part of, uh, you know, if you're interested in reaching a targeted audience, low cost, uh, you can advertise and be one of our sponsors here. For more information, go to themesh.tv slash advertise or send an email to info at themesh.tv. And it's a great way to get your message across to a, a targeted uh, customer group. So I hope people will take us up. And great that. for us. So we usually start off with a quick article. And I was uh, going through online and I, I saw something in the USA Today by a fellow named Steve Strauss about what should you be doing now? You know, the economy's doing pretty good right now. Yeah, it's going you know? very well, quite But, but you and I, you know, but particularly you, have been around for a while. Yes, I've been around for quite a while. And, and we know that these things are cyclical. And at some point, the economy won't do as well, whether we go into a recession or, or whatnot. And we're not pulling for recessions, mm-hmm. but, but we also want to be like Boy Scouts. We want to be prepared. So the article talked about some things that small businesses – entrepreneurs need to be thinking about, should be thinking about now before things might turn in a different direction. And a few tips that uh, the article offered. Number one, I thought was interesting. It says, number one, start to do the opposite. Warren Buffett. You're familiar with Warren Buffett? Warren, yes, I am. He, he, Great investor. Famously advises. Great business person. Famously advises, 
buy when everyone else is selling and sell when everyone else is buying. So, you know, don't always be part of the herd. Well, I think that's true. And, of course, we're in this long recovery and and the economy, and we all are expecting it to at least dip a little bit over the, the next few years, although people have talked about that for the last several years that we're waiting for a dip. And so we have to be careful that way. But I think it's certainly true uh, in investing. You can go back to basically the crash of 2008 and that area, and there were lots of people that got out of the stock market as it was going down. I mean, this is a classic activity uh, reaction because you get scared to death. And, and I kind of remember back there and going, oh, my gosh, it's all coming to an end. But then I said, okay, well, got to stay in because, as everybody's selling, because, well, if it goes to heck in a handbasket, then we're all, we're all, doomed, we're anyway. all doomed anyway. That's exactly right. And I said, so stayed in. And if you stayed in, then you've been able to come back with it if you had you know, your investments in the, the right stocks. I mean, not just the right stocks, but good, solid companies. So, so from an investment perspective, but also from a business perspective, just uh, yeah, you, you want to be uh, looking at doing things differently And the point the is, masses. it's scary to go against That's right. what everybody else is doing. But in many cases, it is the right thing to do. Or can be the right thing to do. Another idea there: make sure consider cutting overhead now. You know, uh, you, you should just because times are good it doesn't mean that you, particularly if you're a small business, you you should always be watching your expenses and not let things get out of control. So manage them now, so you don't have to make rash decisions later. Well, and I think you said it best. We should always be looking at our expenses. Yes, when things are going, we might want to take a few other more risky things that we might not have done otherwise, but we, we shouldn't be doing that too often anyway. We need to manage our uh, company just like we would our personal checkbook. And again, small business owners, that's usually what it is, the same. Number three, look to create some new partnerships, you know, teaming up with uh, compatible businesses, uh, exposing your business to other areas at little cost. So, so create some new partnerships. That's, again, these are... Perfect when we're looking at uh, being concerned about a recession, but they're also really good business things to be thinking about day in and day out. And always and looking for new partnerships or new ways to create revenue or money. And that creates new customers. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, and number four and five, I thought were some overlap and uh, double down on marketing. Don't be afraid to spend on marketing uh, now. You want to you want to be able to get out there, and, and even if you get into recession, you still need to do marketing. And and the article talks about starting a recession-proof business, but what they really get into is people, you know, retailers. You really need to make sure that e-commerce is an element of your business. You know, don't that that's you know look look at how much business is going there. Look at the growth of e-commerce. You know that that don't ignore it. Make sure that that's a piece of your business as you go forward. I think that's a good thing. Of course, accounting is a a recession-proof business in many ways. Is it? Funeral. Okay, funerals, yeah. Okay, yes. well. And community colleges. I understand that uh, the liquor stores still do well. Uh, I think when, they when do. They may as well. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you didn't catch my last part, community colleges? Well, that's true. Uh, when uh, when, the, when we, we, we know from experience that yeah. when times are tough and, and employment starts to, uh, un, the unemployment rate goes up a bit, a lot of those people need to, to consider other careers or retraining. Training, and, yeah. you know, so. and we're there for them. Of course, the great news is our college is uh, doing well in a good economy. And sometimes people say, well, that's not the way it should work. I said, well, I think we should be strong in a good or weak economy. And right now we're being able to do that. And that's tying into some of these things you talked about earlier, uh, looking at new partnerships and doing things differently than we've done before. And, again, they're good for looking at and preparing for a recession, but they're also good day in and day out. Well, well, we're, we're just some food for thought out there. But, good. Uh, I like the food for thought comment. I, I, yeah, what a know, great lead-in. What a great lead-in. We're very You pleased. are the Johnny Carson of podcast. Okay, Mr. McMahon. <laughs> Moving along, um, we're very pleased that uh, we can be joined today by Eric Hallman and Sue Ellsworth, who work for an organization called the Piedmont Food Processing Center in Hillsborough, North Carolina. Uh, Eric and Sue, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks for having us on, Jeff and Gary. We're, I had, did some driving over the last few days and had a chance to listen to your podcast, and you guys provide some really valuable information to the to both experienced and budding entrepreneurs, so we're happy to take part. 
Well, we, we appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time to, to talk with us about uh, what you guys are doing. And, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, your organization and, and the, the Piedmont uh, uh, Food Processing Center. And, and, and I've seen it printed a couple of different ways, the Piedmont Food and Agricultural Processing Center, the Piedmont Food Processing Center. Who the heck are you and what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, we reorganized and changed our name, so that's why the confusion on the name. We shortened things to Piedmont Food Processing Center uh, about almost two years ago. We still call ourselves PFAP, which is the acronym for the Piedmont Food and Agricultural Processing Center, but we shortened it. We still have an agricultural focus, but uh, we, we call ourselves Piedmont Food Processing Center now. Well, well, tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and, and how did the, the Piedmont uh, Food Processing Center come to be? And tell us a little bit about what you guys do there. I, I, will, I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I'll start and pass it on to Sue. So I've been here coming on four years now, and Sue has been here for a longer time. Uh, <laughs> And uh, she's been both a uh, on both sides, uh, but we are have been around. The Piedmont Food Process Center has been around for nine years. It was launched as a four county collaborative effort between Durham, Orange, Chatham, and Alamance counties. Uh, it was funded by a collection of grants from a variety of organizations from the USDA, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, the Golden Leaf Foundation, uh, Tobacco Trust Fund. There was some private money in there from uh, Whole Foods and from our local co-op, Weaver Street Market. Uh, I think there was there was a, several other sources of funding that repurposed an existing building. We have 10,000 square feet currently, and we have four kitchens and storage and uh, freezers and coolers. And currently, we have 55 uh, food entrepreneurs that are working out of here. We're open 24 hours a day, and it is used about 24 hours a day. And I will stop talking for a minute. So let Sue introduce herself. Go ahead, hey guys. Sue. Uh, so I'm Sue Ellsworth. I have been in PFAP for about eight years now. I came in working for a company that started here. So I managed that company for about five years and had the opportunity to watch this company grow from a startup to a national brand in just a five-year period. And then they eventually decided to go ahead and sell, at which time I joined PFAP here as an employee and had the great opportunity to work with so many small startups and businesses that are in different points of the journey. And it's been really rewarding and you feel the frustrations that they go through and you hope that you can learn from what they're dealing with so that you can help the company that's coming up behind them avoid some of those hurdles and pitfalls. So, so that, that sounds great. Now, some people might have different ideas of what a food incubator is and what you guys do. So what, when, when we think of a food incubator and, and you, know, you said that you're working with 55 different entrepreneurs, you know, what sort of services does does your incubator provide or does the typical food incubator provide? I think that's a really good question. And it's a question that I don't think that there's a really clear answer to. I have seen other companies out there that do market themselves as an incubator, but they don't seem to provide some of the services that I would expect to see with an incubator. So some of the things that we're able to help people with are marketing and branding and dealing with all of the regulatory hurdles that you're going to have to jump through to get your business up and running. There's a lot of regulations regarding your labeling and uh, what has to appear on your labeling and nutrition panels and different things like that when you're talking about a consumer packaged good. And then you have regulations that you have to deal with if you're an environmental health client, such as a caterer or a food truck. So we really help people deal with those types of things. We also have the ability, because we've formed relationships with different food distributors in the area, to help them source ingredients. We work with them to make sure that their ingredients that they're using are clean. And by clean, I mean that they don't have a lot of preservatives and additives in them. 
and we help make introductions to various supermarket chains and different opportunities for them to be able to sell their products. And we also spend a lot of time with them talking about the costing of what their product is going to cost and making sure that they're actually producing a product that they can afford to produce. You know, you don't want someone finding out a year and a half into it that it costs them two ninety nine to make a product that they're selling for two fifty. That works in every business. One. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those, those costs and expenses can be a little pesky sometimes, and I suspect, particularly in the food business, when you're yeah. you're probably buying certain things in bulk that are making a lot of different products or units of your product. I, I, I'm probably not speaking the right language, but I suspect but I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think about the waste factor. Well, you're, you're definitely going to have waste associated with food products. So you're going to lose some of your ingredients during production. Ingredients are going to have shelf life. So they're not going to last forever. So you have to make sure that you're rotating your stock and using your ingredients up um, as quickly as possible while trying to buy the ingredients in bulk so that you get the best price for it. So, so you, Sue, you mentioned labeling and regulations. You know, I, I work in a small business center. You know, Gary works with entrepreneurs as well, and, and people come to us and say, hey, I'd like to start a food truck, or I'm, I wanna, I've got a great idea for a food product or something. What do I need to do? And yeah, I think one of the big challenges that people initially might not understand is, is that they have to have a commercially approved kitchen for, for most products that uh, uh, they're making. And I would think that that's a, uh, you know, if you come to my house, uh, you know, it's, it's relatively clean, but I'm not sure I, I should be feeding the masses out of that. And I'm pretty sure the government would not allow me to do that. So I would think that that's a big challenge that a lot of uh, the startup folks that you probably work with are, are coming to you for to, to get over that major hurdle. It definitely is an issue that we hear a lot. Um, just to be clear, it is possible to produce in your home. So you have to go through the appropriate channels. If you're a baker, for instance, you can have your kitchen approved by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture to come in and certify that you are able to produce at home. If you're a caterer, um, I'm thinking specifically of a caterer or a meal subscription service, it is possible to get your local county environmental health to come in and approve your kitchen for that. But there are regulations, of course, that have to be followed. And I don't know that it's an overly burdensome process, but I feel like it could be for some people. I, I'm a pet lover. You certainly can't have any pets if you want to produce food in your home. And I think one of the things that's really beneficial for people in using a commissary or an approved kitchen is that you are around like-minded people and you can bounce ideas off people who are going through or have been through what you are in the process of. So we really encourage existing clients to work with and mentor new and upcoming clients. And we try to make those connections with clients that we have here, whether they realize we're doing it or not. So sometimes you just kind of make those introductions and you know that those people are going to click, and you kind of watch these relationships develop where a caterer who's been here for five years can provide guidance and assistance to a new caterer. Just about simple things like, who do I use for my distributor? How do I put my labels on my package? Things like that. Uh, I, I think it's really beneficial. It can be overwhelming, and I do know because I also have a business that I run out of my home, although it's not a food business, to work in your home because you're always on. I would walk into my office at 8 o'clock at night, and before I knew it, it was 10 o'clock at night. So I think it's a good separation for people to be able to come into a facility like this and work with people who are also working on the same types of things that they're working on. Eric, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I, Sue's absolutely right. I think one of the things that we provide here that I don't know if it's unique, but it's something that we're very proud of is we built a community of food entrepreneurs, and there's a lot of value in, in being around people that are doing what you're doing. Yeah, the support network. 
Well, it also sounds like you guys have succeeded in creating a very a collaborative uh, environment there where you know, I, I, I hope people recognize that there's a, enough business to go around and, and uh, they're willing to share information with one another. Yeah, I, and one of the aspects of this that it's, uh, I, this may be a whole other podcast, but what Sue's developed is that, uh, particularly with women food entrepreneurs, and it's an organization that she spearheaded called We Power that that focuses on some of the unique issues that women entrepreneurs face in the food industry. So I, I hope we have time to get into that. But just kind of a lead into that, I know you guys deal with all sorts of entrepreneurs. And my observation coming from, I came from the biotech world and entrepreneurship there is that with the food industry, it's easy to start a food business. If you have a little passion, somebody says you make a great uh, pickle, you can start making pickles. But, and you can do everything yourself, but the problem you have is you're starting a business and you're doing everything yourself. And that, I, I don't think people realize how difficult it is and what, what the, the hurdles are and you don't have that support organization that some of the other businesses have, um, biotech or tech or something like that, where there's a networking opportunities and the ways to share things with other people. We've kind of built that here. There's a lot more we could do. Um, what Stu's done with WePower is incredible. Uh, and it's also that there's not a lot of existing uh, examples of people that are successful that feed back into the program to show to, to give guidance to the folks coming along. I'm sure you guys recognize that in the industries you deal with is how important it is to have some successful role models for people to to see how it worked. Well, absolutely, and, and and having somebody that's got specialty in in your industry is, is so valuable, and mm-hmm. in that that uh, sometimes. Uh, I think we feel a little bit like jacks of all trades, where we can we can help people start down that road, but we're we're certainly not experts when it comes to labeling and and food regulations to to a, a great degree. So it sounds like you know if people can get to you, they're going to get a lot of assistance when when it comes to those type uh, things as well. You guys mentioned that you have you're currently I think you said you have 55 uh, businesses that you're working with and I think it's everything from caterers to food trucks to producers. I mean tell us a little bit about the types of food businesses that you're you're currently working with and and uh, some of the the challenges that they 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 get into there. So we we have a lot of fun getting to see some of the new foods that are coming out. Uh, plant-based foods are really, really big right now. So we've got a company here that is working on developing some plant-based foods. We also have folks that are producing, you know, truffles and caramels and different beverages and pickles and relishes. And it's just amazing. Salsas. And there's all kinds of different products. And you, you, it's really hard to tell which ones will hit it and which ones won't. But just as kind of a side note, I will say one of the toughest things that Eric and I have to do is we get a lot of folks that come in and they are sure they are making the best product you've ever tried in your life. And they want you to try it in front of them. And sometimes, sometimes it really is not a good product. (laughs) Um, I personally am not a kombucha fan, okay. um, though I think it's a great product. There's a lot of people that really enjoy it, but uh, we've had folks come in that wanted us to try kombucha and have to, like, push the, the mother. If you have ever tried what kombucha, you may know what the mother is. It's like the starter. Kind of push that out of the way, and i got to say that really kind of makes me want to gag. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I don't want to try it now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And hot sauce seems to be really popular right now. And I am not a hot sauce type of person, but people really, you can see the disappointment in their eyes when you don't want to try their product. So (laughs) Eric is the hot sauce person. Well, I mean, to to 
to be fair, when somebody shoves them across, it's made with Carolina Reapers and tried to, there's a little trepidation putting that in your mouth. I, I, I can I, imagine. I understand. Well, and 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 uh, for for someone to to come into your incubator, I mean, I'm assuming there's more to it than uh, Sue and Eric doesn't think this tastes good or something like that. There must be other requirements for whether they get in or not. Well, there should be. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, um, that's quite a, pre- I, I think- a lot of pressure on you if you're if you're the the grandmaster taste tester. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think and I think what Sue and I have we 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 work really well together with when people come in and one or the other of us kind of takes the lead. But one thing we've just, we've realized is that we just can't predict who's going to be a successful business and who's not. And so to that point, we haven't said you've got to have a business plan, you've got to have this, you've got to have this before we'll talk to you, because you, I'm sure you guys have seen it before. Some people have it on the back of a napkin, and they can run with it from there. Um, who's going to be successful? So we, we pretty much will talk to anybody that wants to come in and talk to us. Um, we're getting pretty full right now, and it, it's getting, we're having to tell people that We're having to be very careful about what we commit to because we just, even running 24-7, there's only so many, with four kitchens, there's only so much time that's available. But you are correct. There are certain things that people have to be able to do to come in, and one is that you have to have proof of insurance. If you want to be a caterer, you have to be approved by the local health department. Um, if you're producing a product that you want to be sold on uh, grocery store shelves, you have to be approved by the NCBA. So we do work with people to help them achieve those approvals and get through that process. So, yes, in all seriousness, it really isn't about how good we think their product tastes. I like to remind people all the time that I am probably not the demographic that they're shooting for if they're making kombucha or if they're making hot sauce. So one thing that I think is really important for small businesses, particularly food companies, is to know who is buying your product. And one way that they can often find that out is by starting at farmer's markets because they can get very immediate feedback from people right there. Not everyone is going to love every product. So if you're going to start a food business, you have to have a little bit of backbone and be able to take some criticism. Yeah, that's good. Makes sense. And, and and now, with the fifty-five folks that you're working with, how far away are they coming to to be in your incubator? Are they, I, you know, my I, I attended the North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is not that far from Hillsboro. So, I've, uh, you know, Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh are all you know mm-hmm. fairly large cities, and you're not that far from Greensboro either, I guess. Uh, you know, I went to Hillsboro. So we- I went to Hillsboro Hog Day. Okay, so I'm I'm familiar with Hillsboro. <laughs> <laughs> we we draw from about an hour and a half driving time. Mm-hmm. So we have clients from Winston Salem, Greensboro, um, which is forty five minutes an hour, you know, maybe an hour away from their traffic. And we have people from the other side of Raleigh. Um, what we would like to see in the state is a string of incubators like like us. There are commissaries that serve caterers and food trucks that provide basically a kitchen you can cook in, but. If you want to come and do 60 gallons of salsa, we have 60-gallon steam kettles. Uh, A a commissary in your town doesn't have that. We have a liquid nitrogen blast freezer for a rapid freezing of things. So to get the kind access to the kind of capital equipment that we have, you're going to have to drive. But ideally, with uh, Blue Ridge Food Ventures in Asheville, which this and Mills runs and does a great job, and we rely on him a lot for you know guidance because he's been around longer than we have. But there needs to be something in between Asheville and here, and there needs to be something in between here and the coast, so to serve the food entrepreneurs in the state. And it's developing. Fayetteville is start looking to put something in. They have a. Um, a building. They just need the uh, to buy the equipment. They're trying to get financing. Uh, Forsyth and Guilford counties are looking to do something through NCA&T. 
but uh, I'm not sure where the funding is on, on that. I think we were fortunate in that we were our 1.3 million in grant funding was able was enough to renovate a building and buy the equipment to do the same thing now would probably cost you five or six million. So it's while we need more incubators like this, the demand is there. This the cost is pretty prohibitive. Well, now you guys mentioned a couple times that uh, you also work pretty closely with uh, women entrepreneurs that are starting food businesses. How how uh, how do you support their efforts uh, there at uh, your facility? So one of the things that I've noticed in the however many years I've been here is I was fortunate to be here as a client. I met a lot of really incredible women who have started some amazing businesses. And you suddenly would notice all of a sudden they weren't around anymore. And, you know, women can immediately start to check off a list of reasons why women would walk away from businesses. Um, Sometimes it was they were incredibly successful businesses and we were absolutely blown away that they walked away. Other times the businesses were struggling a little bit and people just walked away from them. But oftentimes we wouldn't know that folks had decided to close their businesses and we would have to, you know, try to hunt them down and find out what was going on, only to be surprised to find out that they had closed. So I gathered a group of women from various arenas, food businesses, academia, elected officials, to really discuss the reasons why women are walking away from businesses and what we could do to support them, to help them be more successful with their businesses. And in the process of doing that, we developed a program called We Power Food, which is dedicated to reducing the number of women food entrepreneurs closing their businesses and increasing the number of minority women entrepreneurs, which we think is really important. Um, we do that through monthly meetings, advocacy, um, and we have we really focus on collective problem solving, network building, recognition of what women are doing, the sharing of resources and holding space. And I've been a little surprised to find that one of the areas where you can actually have the most impact is by just getting these women together in a room and giving them the opportunity to talk and share what they've learned and what's going on. I think it's an incredibly important program, and I have really been able to see some of these women really grow and flourish personally and professionally. So it's, it's a passion project of mine. I'm hoping to spread it as far as I can because the impact, I think, can be amazing for women when they just have the opportunity to sit in a room and talk about what they've learned and learn to support each other. Um, I'm not talking all women, but a lot of women come in here thinking that they can do everything themselves. They can develop, they can market, they can brand, they can do the production. And, yeah, you can, but you also need to have a life outside, and you need to be able to take care of yourself. And I think that women have a tendency to burn out when they don't find those supports that they need. And I've seen several successes with women who were very close to closing their business, but because of the support from WePower, they've been able to continue to grow their businesses, and some of them have become quite successful. So um, right now we have a pretty small sample size of folks that we can work off from to determine what impact WePower really is having, but I'm in it, I see it, I live it, and I know that we're having an impact on women food producers. Super. Um, You know, I suspect that the challenges you find in that group, you know, some some are uh, more specific to women entrepreneurs, but I I suspect you see issues that uh, many of your other uh, residents clients also face. I mean, are there are there common mistakes that uh, you see when people are starting food businesses? You mentioned the fact that uh, uh, some of the people you work with are trying to do maybe too much on their own and, and are, are probably burnout uh, candidates. Are there other things that you see that are, are challenges when people are in startup mode for a food business? Well, that is a really good point. So, We are developing resource guides to be able to share with women. And, of course, the information that's in a resource guide 
regarding food production is going to pertain to men as well. So some of the things that we're working on will benefit all of our PFAS clients. And I think here at PFAS, we're, we're really willing to help and share other incubators. So we're happy to provide information. One of the things that I think is the most prominent that we see is a lot of times when women come in, they come in by themselves. So they come in and talk about their food business all by themselves. Men have a tendency to come in with a team already in place. And we find that it's really important that you have a team. You know what your role is, what you do well, and what you should be bringing somebody else in to do. So you could be the best pickle maker in the world, but maybe you don't know anything about bookkeeping. Why focus on that? Just hire somebody to do that. So I, I think building a team to support you and to help grow your business is really important. And whether that's employees or finding outside resources like your local small business centers, community colleges, um, other networking opportunities is really important. Eric, what would you add to that? That's, that's the number one thing is, and, and you, I just listened to one of your podcasts last, last night, you talked about the importance of building the team. So that, that is the number one thing. I think it's important also to have some fun. So we have a little bit of fun here. Um, you mentioned Halloween earlier. And so one of the things that we do here every year now is we have the PFAP annual gory food contest, which will be held next week. And we encourage people to come up with the creepiest, goriest, nastiest edible food that they can. Um, and we have judges come in and go through a process of selecting who are the first, second, and third place winners. We award trophies, blah, blah, blah. But we have a great time. And it, that works towards building our community. I think that works in every business. You want to have fun along with uh, the hard work that you're doing. I've seen some of Gary's cooking. It might be candidate to, uh, to win that competition. Gory would be a, a good term for that, yes. Yeah, not, not necessarily intentional. Come on up, Gary. Yeah. You can apply, too. <laughs> You know, and I, not a pretty sight it would. I, and I, I, I must say I chuckled a bit uh, when you were saying that uh, that sometimes uh, some of the men entrepreneurs or food startups already have a team in place. It's sort of always been my philosophy: if you uh, if you actually want to get things done, you should have a team that includes some some hardworking women in it because they they seem to get things done more so than some of the men uh, entrepreneurs. I, I would know. say the same thing. So. Uh, having. Good, solid women on your team is good. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, Jeff and Gary, I'm, I'm curious. Do you see just across the different businesses that you work with, do you see the same thing that men teams tend, tend to come in with a network established or team established and women come in kind of as, a, as, as lone wolves? That's not a good term, but come in by themselves. I, I can't say that I, I have seen it in a noticeable way. I mean, you know, a lot of the work that I do uh, are, are with people that are, are, you know, pretty early in the startup stage. And uh, sometimes it's a lifestyle business. Sometimes it's a small retail business. So I, I, I find that the, the fact that they are doing most things themselves to be a challenge for for many startups, so I, I don't know if that's more of an issue when it comes to, to food entrepreneurs or not, but it's something that I'll probably notice a little bit more now as uh, after we've had the conversation. So um, are any, you know, any, any final uh, suggestions you have? If, if somebody's coming to me or coming to Gary or coming to you to say, I want to start a food business, are there three things that uh, they should be thinking about before they uh, uh, leave their day job? And, and number one, we would probably tell them, don't leave your day job. But anyway, are we, you know, what, what uh, other suggestions would you guys have? Don't leave your day job until <laughs> you know that your business is going to be a success. And I preach this all the time. Know your demographic. Know who is buying your product. So know your, know your market. I pointed to me like I was going to have some brilliant thing to say following that. And this is, I'm sitting there going, blah, blah, blah. Know yeah, what it costs it, to make your product. Yeah, yeah, we that, that's that's that, key. That we talked it. about that earlier. Yeah. Okay. That's really critical in any business. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Gary, I, you know, and this, is, this, this goes to what your, your strength is. 
Sue and I were just talking the other day. If there's the one thing we, if we could sit people down and and just force them to do a, a, a cost benefit analysis and projections. I mean, the data's there. They, they it, but it, we're just shocked at people that have business training that don't have the don't have a cost analysis or are a set of projections, and that's the one thing that if we could just force people to do would have the biggest impact. Well, we really focus, and Jeff's great at this uh, with our students, getting our students to understand it's not just about the idea. That's the important thing, and you want to have the passion for the idea that you're going to start a business with, but you really need to have that financial analysis, and it can be relatively simplistic, but you got to be able to see if it's going to make money. And But people don't want to focus on that. They're more well, focused on the fun yeah. idea of what they want to do. I, I think I see it as almost the shark tank effect of uh, people get very excited. I'm going to sell a lot of this and, and trying to make them understand that sales are great, but profits are much better. Uh, so you better understand what your expenses are is is an important step, whether it be a food business or any business that we try to reinforce the folks that we talk to. So that's, it sounds like you guys uh, see that as well. Yeah. Well, and you talked about Yeah. That. And I think you have to, people have to set realistic expectations. I, I kind of have to chuckle sometimes. So I applaud these people. We'll have folks that come in who never produced a single item who immediately are striving to get into Walmart uh, right. um, or, you know, another major chain. And it's like, you know, go to those stores and look at the competition out there and educate yourself a little bit. And, gee, if you did get into Walmart, how are you all of a sudden going to be able to produce, I don't know, 50 pallets in a week when you haven't produced a jar of your product yet? So it's really important sometimes for people to be realistic about what is out there and you have to talk them down sometimes and it's really hard because you don't want to burst anyone's bubble. I'm really about lifting people up and encouraging them. So So, being realistic with them, I feel like is incredibly important because I don't, I don't want to see somebody go into debt or go bankrupt or dip into their children's college funds to be able to drive a business forward that really isn't going to go anywhere. And to build on that, one of the things Sue mentioned is that when people come in and they think that, oh, if I can just get this on in Whole Foods or or Walmart, I've got it made. No. The the whole industry is, is changing. And with the Amazon Whole Foods purchase, um, and, being on a grocery store shelf may not be your end game. And the, the, the people that we like, we enjoy dealing with, and the people that are thinking outside the box, to use an over, overused term, uh, that are not looking at the, the, the traditional retail uh, market. They're looking at other ways to sell their products. And, you know, in this industry, things are really changing rapidly. So it, that's, it's exciting, but, and there's lots of opportunity, but you can't look in traditional channels all the time. Well, we, we really appreciate you guys uh, joining us today to, to help us understand what you do and, and give some ideas to folks starting food businesses, what they need to be doing. Eric, Sue, if people want to find out uh, more about the center and find you, where can they find you guys online? So you can find WePower at wepowerfood.org, or you can email Sue Ellsworth, sue.ellsworth at pfapnc.org. And if you want to find Piedmont Food Processing Center, you can go to pfapnc.org, and that's P as in Paul, F as in French, A as in Apple, P as in Paul, NC as in North Carolina. Org. And if you're out and about in the, yep, and Facebook, and if you're out and about in the food arenas, we try to get out there. We try to attend a lot of networking opportunities, and we are constantly trying to learn as much as we can about the regulatory aspects. So you may just run into us at one of those events. Oh, super. 
Well, we, we really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing, and, and thank you for your time today. It's great. I'm hungry. Yeah, well, we like to end up our, our small business, uh, our, our podcast, by featuring some small businesses each month. And uh, Eric, Sue, do you guys have any businesses that you want to give a shout-out to? I would give a shout-out to Paw River Mushroom, which is a local farm in Sassapaha, who are looking at alternative ways to continue to be able to be sustainable with their farm and have developed a jerky mushroom or mushroom jerky. And i got to say, I am one of those people that I hate mushrooms, and I really like this jerky. So they're coming up with some plant-based foods that I think um, everyone should try because they're really, really good. Okay. Anything popping into your mind? Oh God! There's there's so many companies here that are, are that are exciting to watch. Uh, I, one that we don't promote as often is uh, Cheese Bread King. So mm. this is uh, a guy that was a long distance truck driver for until about two years ago. Logged on how many million miles, and but he's Brazilian, and his family has made these traditional uh, cheese breads for four generations. And you thought if you wanted to bring that to the U.S. market, and it's a frozen uh, dough made of tapioca flour, mozzarella cheese, and uh, parmesan, and they're delicious. And uh, he is um, he is working hard trying to get that product out there, and uh, it's it, it's exciting to watch him as an entrepreneur. And I, we think he's going to be successful. He's on the edge. He's close. Okay. I think it's just important with 55 different companies here and so many hundreds of small producers around the state of North Carolina and the country to just recognize the importance of buying local. Know who's producing your food. Buy local. Okay. Great well, lesson. Mushroom jerky, cheese bread. I like it. That sounds great. Gary, what, uh, what's your small business of the month? Well, Jeff, my small business of the month is Squid Sock. Heard of it? Any I'm, of I'm our folks heard, heard it? I never heard of Squid Socks. Off of Shark Tank, so you're my can favorite. We, can we eat them? I'm not sure. No, it's going to be a little mm-hmm. twist on that. Of course, okay. you know, I like food, candy, and animals. So I guess squid kind of counts, but it's a little tricky. That, well, a couple, Gabe and Jessica Miller, they didn't have the problem, but they had a cousin that had the problem. And they went to visit them, and they had some small children. And the... Uh, they saw the toddler's son was losing his socks all the time. So whether he took them off or they fell off. You, have you had this? We've all had children or uh, relatives. Where I, I used to be in the sock business. We counted on people losing God their socks bless, and they'd I, buy some more. You Gary. should have thought of squid sock uh, for uh, the business of the month. Well, what they did is they created this product, which based on patent pending things, where the socks, they had the sticky stuff. On the bottom or inside, so when they you put the sock on the child, it sticks on the child, and so it stays on. Okay, and it sounds something amazing. And then of course on the they know on the bottom, which we have the sticky stuff on the bottom, so they don't fall when they're going mm-hmm. on slippery. The, the skid resistance, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they got it inside and out, and I think it's just amazing. Now it is a little pricey. Yeah, twenty four dollars for three pair. Yeah. But you may be able to do a cost-benefit analysis and say, well, you uh, don't have to get a third of the socks that you would otherwise. But I think it's really clever. I saw it on Shark Tank, obviously, and they did a great job of uh, pitching their idea. Squid socks. Squid socks. Squid squat. I can't say it. Squid socks company. Okay. Well, cool. All right. Well, uh, I I was in New York uh, this summer and and, uh, saw – my small business of the month. It's and this will be the dessert on tonight today's podcast. It's it's the Big Gay Ice Cream Company, which okay. was started in two thousand nine by two fellows. Uh, one uh, they for one summer uh, they decided they were going to just uh, run an ice cream truck, and they were trying to find creative names for their company, mm-hmm. and they came up with the Big Gay Ice Cream Truck. It was a seasonal truck, but uh, was like a very big popular favorite in New York. And they have uh, 
created two ice cream parlors for for kids, adults. Uh, in they've got two in New York. And they now have one in Philadelphia. They focus on you know it's a, to me it's sort of a mini Ben and Jerry's. They have some very creative flavors. Uh, one's called the Salty Pimp. One is <laughs> okay. called uh, the, that. Certainly gets my interest. Yeah, there you go. One's called the B Arthur. And it was because they used Golden Grams, and then someone says like Golden Girls, and they were thinking about Golden <laughs> called the B Arthur. Uh, and it's and and they've actually evolved from having uh, their ice cream parlors to now where they're doing some pints and they've uh, it's primarily in the northeast but they've succeeded in getting into some of the grocery chains up there with uh, with pints uh, I think they were in Safeway and Wawa but if you go out to the uh, to biggayicecream.com you can learn more about them and see where to find uh, the big gay ice cream. Well, so, it fits perfectly with today's podcast. There you go. So anyway, it's the, it's the cherry on top. So there anyway. you go. Great job. Well, we want to thank uh, Eric Hallman and Sue Ellsworth uh, with the Piedmont Food Processing Center for joining us today. Thank you guys very much for being with us. We want to... Uh, our pleasure. This was great. Thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed us. it. We want to thank the uh, Mesh Network for hosting us, and you can check out all the podcasts on the Mesh at themesh.tv, and you can subscribe to the Entrepreneur Exchange and other podcasts from the Mesh by visiting iTunes and many of the usual suspect uh, podcast sites. And if you're interested in advertising, go to themesh.tv backslash advertise or go uh, email info at themesh.tv and get you some information about that. We thank you for listening, and we look forward to catching up with you again next month. Take care. Enjoy the fall. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.